Good morrows, sweet merfolk and others on land or something. Hi, how you doing? My name is Chris Johnson. I'm the host about the Broom Cupboard, which is what you are currently listening to, a podcast about puppeteers, presenters, producers, and the people who work within kids' TV and children's entertainment. If you're a fan of CBBC and the CBBC office era, this is probably for you. If I sound a little tired and delirious, I absolutely am, based on that weird mermaid intro, it's because my pantomime rehearsals have begun. At the time of this episode going out, I'm rehearsing for Robin Hood in Lincoln. Come and see us. It's going to be a good show. Barney Harwood's in it. Two CBBC people for the price of one. But what I'm presenting to you today is my sit-down chat with Ian Sterling, uh, a little-known comedian who's gone on to no significant success whatsoever, and you probably don't know anything about him. So why are you listening to that? Of course, that's absolute nonsense. Anyone who's a fan of Ian and Hacker, celebability, Love Island, the dog in my homework, help my supply teacher is magic, comedy in general. The man's a funny man. A man, funny man. A man fu- funny, he's fu- he's good. And you'll hear more from Ian in just a moment's time. Uh, but before that, I just want to say thank you so much to all the patrons who've been supporting the show so far and allowing it to exist, helping it be a thing. Especially while I'm out here doing another job, like, full-on, a month and a half of, like, non-stop rehearsals, performances, um, you know, like, uh, 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 photo sessions and all that stuff as part of Pantomime World. It It's tough to keep, sort of, this stuff going alongside it. But the reason I can is because of you guys supporting the show. So thank you so much for the love for the first five episodes, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear this. We recorded this back in August of this year. Um, where I crashed over at Ian's, we had a lovely time. Then we went, we went off and recorded, uh, or I sat in on the recording of another podcast. And then we went out and uh, had a lovely evening with Ed Petrie. And then the next day, coincidence, Phil Fletcher was in London, so I hung out with him. It's all connected. So I've been sitting on this one for a while. I really hope you enjoy it. Tiny warning, there is some sound stuff where we play with levels, because we realised that the microphone uh, in Ian's Twitch setup could actually record louder than we were using it for. So we played around with it. Um... So it shouldn't damage your delicate ears or sensibilities, but just to give you a heads up, if you're listening on headphones, it might get a little louder about 10 minutes in. Not only that, there is a reference toward the end when we discuss content that we are surprised uh, they got away with saying on CBBC that could be construed as a sexual joke. Uh, But as we explain during it, it isn't. I've left it in because it clearly isn't, and it's up to your dirty mind to make up the joke. But if you are listening with a younger listener uh, in mind or in situ, and you don't want them to hear it, skip the last five minutes. In any case, here it is, out the broom cupboard, with Ian Sterling. from Frightened Rabbit who passed away last year mm. so loads of bands including weirdly Sarah Silverman the comedian have done covers of loads of his songs and put it as an album it's really great damn that's pretty cool so I like it Laura's so, happy because of Jasper Carrot vinyl downstairs in the frame vinyl but she wants out of that room so this will be replacing that oh right <laughs> she'll be very happy about it how long has the Jasper Carrot vinyl been framed since, since the beginning she bought it for me <laughs> which wants to change now yeah, this is cool. Does does it have Jasper Carrot's face on it? Is that yeah, why? it does. It's his first. I like I like it because it's like one of the first ever like stand up specials. Essentially, yeah. it's quite cool. But not everyone thinks it's cool. I think, uh, I think Jasper Carrot's cool. He was in the detective, which got a shout out in an Elvis Costello song. So 
There you go. Swings and roundabouts. We've got lots of time. Time for what, Ian? Chatting. Chatting, maybe on a podcast. Yes. That has already started. Is this it now? Yeah, we're already in it. This is very this is very <laughs> American. <laughs> it's in a way. I'm now worried about what part you start at because we were saying some pretty horrific stuff. I'll miss out the stuff. Your 30 seconds about ago. murder and, and I you are more than allowed to listen to this ahead of time and approve and disapprove of certain things. I refuse to put any more work into this than is absolutely <laughs> necessary. Well, you've already gone above and beyond for me as far as I'm concerned because you are a busy bloody man. I've got a few things on. You've got quite a bit on at the minute. Yeah. But um spoke the other week and you just said to me, um, if you're confused as to why this is really casual, by the way, I've already introduced you and said what's happening. I do a little bit. You know, we're saying like Adam Buxton walking his dog. Yeah. Summing it off. I've already done that. I've heard. I've listened to the. I've listened to one so far of this. I listened to Phil's one, in that very <laughs> egotistical way of, "Will he mention me?" Because I mention him all the bloody time in interviews, and he always texts me and says, "Thanks, Cocker." Yeah. <laughs> I saw. I almost play a game of um, spot the reference to Phil, and stuff. You got. You gave him a lot of love on Taskmaster. Because I defended his honour. When I had that build up puppet task on Taskmaster, I've never been more certain of winning anything in my entire life. <laughs> um, and I nearly didn't, but I, luckily I went slightly mad and they uh, awarded me five points. It was a sort of pity. It always works. And worked out alright in the end, didn't does it? it? Does he know you've mentioned him in your book yet? Has he got Probably not, that? because that involves a lot of reading. I mentioned him right There's at the end. There's also an audio book. Well. He'll not listen to it. He'll me and <laughs> Phil have got a wonderful relationship where we won't see each other for a very long time, but when we do, it's like we've never been apart. It's like we still live together. I was gonna say part part of that probably comes from the fact you cohabited for a we good, like, worked two out in a bit years. The first year, maybe year and a half of being in Hacker, we lived together and we worked together and we didn't have any friends in London. So we the only time we weren't physically together was when we were asleep and even then that was under the same roof yeah in fact we had a sort of one bedroom Bert and Ernie sort of thing going on (laughs) but yeah we're in a little flat and we just used to play with puppets I bet that's how he thought of it as well like if you were Bert and Ernie that was his well there was puppets everywhere the the hob was always covered in dye because he was always dyeing fleece yes to make different coloured puppet skins (laughs) You need to come and see his house in Wigan. Um, spoiler alert for anyone who's a fan of Phil Fletcher and his characters. He he's from Wigan. Um, it, it's it is literally a, it is one giant workshop with a bathroom. It, there's puppets everywhere. Yeah, Absolutely I think everywhere. Me and it, nothing quite, has changed. Me and him are quite similar. And we're sort of like very different, but very similar. Even if you look at like my house compared to his house, I have a very small guest bedroom my bedroom and the rest of the house has been utilised for work. Yeah. It's just with gaming spaces and office spaces. I've got very little time for people staying very... <laughs> Frivolity. Well, and... people staying, <laughs> socialising in general. If I talk to people, I generally want to be a, a number of people, them all facing me and me lit and amplified. That seems to be when I'm the best at talking. I don't really, I don't really f- bored well in s- situations where I am on a level pegging with everyone else. I think to fade into the background. Should I lean forward a little no, bit? No, not at all. I just realised that I'm, uh, I'm sort of, I'm put us at a place where the level is slightly quiet. But that's fine because if you want to break wind or anything like that, it won't pick up. Can you boost it? I absolutely can. Ha! Uh, Hello. 
See, that's peaked a little bit then. <laughs> Shut up slightly. So I'm quite similar. I mean, even now you're on microphone. Yeah, this is all right. And I, I'm very appreciative of you doing so. This is like we're having a conversation, but there's a purpose to it, which I enjoy. In a way, well, there is in a way, because here's the thing. The audience so far for Broom Club, as of recording this, two episodes have gone out, the third one's about to go out publicly. Felt um, Katie Warwick's the third, right? Uh, no, Warwick is the fourth episode, but he was the third to record. You've, you've, this is so You've confusing. been paying attention. You've been paying attention. Uh, Ed, Ed Petrie's episode. He, we're meeting him tonight, Chris. We're seeing him tonight in jolly old London town. London town. And then Warwick's is coming out, and then there's one that, as of this, I've not announced yet. And then this is November. So Are we, this is happening in November. This is November. You're chatting to the future wow. right now. FIFA 20's out. FIFA 20 is out. That's I'm so already in tights rehearsing Panto. So it's, More the, you know. Call of Duty's out. Yeah. Which is still slightly less cool a prospect when I describe that I'll be playing it whilst wearing tights, rehearsing for Panto, but all the same. What Panto character are you this year? I'm Will Scarlet in Robin Hood. Will Scarlet? Yeah. Is I... he not quite heartthrobby? Usually, apparently. How are you going to do the heartthrobby bit? I don't know. I, I, as of this recording, I have not seen the script. I've been given the that... breakdown of the scenes. and. The I don't mean that pieces. as a personal... Slight. Not at I all, just mean, given both of our performance techniques, I'm a very clownish man. Neither of us lend ourselves <laughs> to being the the heartthrob. I don't know. I don't know. At 17, I played Dorian Gray in a stage adaptation of Picture of Dorian Gray. I think I saw a picture of that in your Instagram. You had eyeliner on. Yeah. Uh, yes, there was eyeliner involved, and you were worryingly thin. Yeah, wor- I, mostly because I was not eating properly. Oh, so that's that was, yeah. That's and, not ideal. But not for the role. I was just a, an idiot who didn't do well at scheduling and timing myself. Um, <coughs> that that's continued. not the way I, am, I eat badly. Ah, so I've got no time, so I just eat things that, are, are, that come in plastic bags. <laughs> It's usually food. Astronauts eat stuff from plastic bags, so that's fine. They do. The fatties. <laughs> Fashionable. But, but they don't feel it because they're floating around up there. They're yeah. okay. Ian Bartholomew Erogenous Sterling. Yes. Um, it is protocol so far for me to chart everyone's life and times leading them to the world of kids TV. But the thing is with you, kids TV has been one chapter in a variety of different things that happened over the last 10 years. Mm. So I'm going to cut straight oh, to that a little. I just realised, you can do this. That's oh. the f***ing Look, that's louder now. Oh, that's all right. That's good. But is that weirder that becomes louder? I think you should keep this in at all different levels. If I f*** it back, it's just... No, it's, it's fine. That's, that's good. I'll, oh, I'll tell you what, turn down a little bit. There one, we are. One, one. Sorry, because I, I, I don't just look at the bars and go, ooh, I've proof listen. So I, I go through everything. You could say anything you want now and I could I could edit it to sound like something else. Scum! <laughs> <laughs> Words. That's the worst you could think of. Scum. I'm trying not to swear at the minute. That's fine. You can if no, you want. No, not because of this podcast. It's a genuine thing I'm trying to do. For real? Because because I on the very rare occasion I watch kids TV stuff back that I've done, I feel like when you take away swear words and crass humour, you have to find a new, unique way to approach jokes and comedy. And sometimes I prefer my persona mm-hmm. and the way I carry myself and things on kids TV because I've lost that ability just to shout and swear like I wish I'd maybe on Taskmaster for example taken that on board a little bit rather than screamed and shouted the entire time oh you mean a bit like you kind of 
you alter the direction you approach the humour and the jokes and set pieces from if, if you have those restrictions. Mm. It's like you're, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm looking at Bob Leather, the Joker from here, it's a perfect example. Uh, remember Batman Animated Series, the one that was on when we were kids? Of course. Um, so they were given the raison d'etre by Fox, who was broadcasting it. You are not allowed to kill anyone in this show. Mm-hmm. And they went, right, but we can have guns. And as long as you don't kill anyone, so they're like, fine. So that's why everyone is holding an actual gun, none of the yeah. laser stuff that the Spider-Man shows and all that gone. Mm. But that's why they made people's sort of quote-unquote demises even more weird and bizarre. Because they wanted to, without just saying that person's dead, imply very heavily that person's dead. Yeah. So all the Joker's victims they just lay there, massive grins, not blinking. No one ever says, they're alive, they'll be okay. No one ever yeah. says that. You just see what's happened to them and you go, oh, and then they move on. And that's almost more creative and worse than them being shot by the Joker. I think as well with Heath Ledger's Joker, that's maybe why the, you know, I got these scars scenes are so brilliant. Yeah. Because if it was an 18, the easy way to create the horror would be him carving the smile into the person's face. Mm. But you couldn't show that so the yeah the, the, the ceremony of, um, and the build up to him scarring the person's face yeah on that snooker table yeah. in the bin bag just like holding just his head oh I got these scars <laughs> you remember that that actor isn't that this guy played Spawn J Michael White I think his name is mm-hmm. he's a big guy big old yeah, he's, big old unit he's not the scariest thing getting um, ripped apart by Heath Ledger doing a sort of Tom Waits impression yeah I think it was you actually who sent me or you shared on social somewhere that link of, of like just a Tom Waits interview some, some, yeah. at some point and it is you listen to it you go yes yeah. that's that's the Joker Tom Waits for the younger listeners is a very brilliant mm-hmm. musician his, his late 70s stuff is so mad and bizarre I love it and if you YouTube interviews with him he does he speaks like he fledges Joker it's Very really fun. weird. It's got like a deeper timbre, but you can almost hear him smacking his lips. Yeah, it's good. Freaky stuff. So yeah, I think sometimes the what can't be said is more interesting than what is being said. In terms of language and restrictions and stuff, you studied law at uni mm-hmm. and then went into comedy. Like, yeah. was, it, was that, did you feel like sort of your voice as an individual was sort of restricted by the path you chose or? No. Um, well, as in, because I was a lawyer, I couldn't be rude at comedy. Not, not so much. Just like, you, you kind of designated a, a, a way for yourself, and then went, and I don't really want to do that. Like, I I, I feel enclosed. Because, like, I, you've said before, like, you don't enjoy, you didn't enjoy um, law. It no. It wasn't well, I didn't, I didn't, do you know what, weirdly, I didn't... And you're in good company, like, people like Rich Fulcher also, like, studied yeah. law and went, it was more, nah, I want to do funny stuff. It was more for me, I didn't realise I didn't really enjoy it until I'd done comedy and I realised what it felt like to do something you enjoy. Mm. In my school, it wasn't the most ambitious place in the entire world. I still remember very vividly, Peter, when we were in primary six, got asked by our primary school teacher what he wanted to be when he grew up. And he said he wanted to be a footballer, and he was a very good footballer. Mm. And my primary six teacher said, what about being a postman like your dad? Oof, that's so we weirdly scathing. Yeah, it's bad, right? There was never any... The t- t- you you kind of get the point they're making, but it just sort of... It sounds remember, like a backhand. I re- honestly, I remember it so vividly. I remember him even saying, like, um, oh, but think about it, you'll be done work by about 11. Like, that means anything to a 10-year-old. So there was never any like drama or like p- 
push to do anything and I'd done alright I'd done okay at school like okay enough that I could um, do law at university and then the reason I'd done law at university was because there was nothing at school that interested me enough that I thought I only studied that all the time for four years so I'd done law and I thought I liked it I genuinely thought I liked it and then in my final year at university I started doing stand up and I was like oh this is what it feels like to like enjoy something and be mm. passionate about something and then doing law became nearly impossible because it felt like such a frivolous pr- process. Yeah, and especially because you, you, like you said, you'd realised, like, this is actually where I want to go. Yeah. This is the thing I want to do. That has been... Did you think it, did you think it had been a wasted four years? Or? No, not, not at all, because, again, the university gave... University, I met people that done things like that. No yeah. one done drama or... There was a music department in my school. It was pretty, it was pretty good. Mm. But nobody did acting or comedy or... you never think that that was a thing to do. And I went to university and there was all these people that done stuff like that. And I met all these people and I met all my best friends. And it was amazing. I would... I loved uni as well because it meant I had four years of, like, messing about and being, like, a kid. Mm. Like, there's a real rush with the younger generation now to get stuff... To get stuff done quick. Be successful quick. Yeah. You see people, like, winning Grammys when they're 20 and stuff. Jeez. And you want to get really successful really quick and actually that's not really realistic. And also if you do achieve what you want at a young age, where do you, where do you go? You, you talk about this like, and I, I'm going to sound like an infomercial, you talk about this quite a bit in your book. Available in all good stores. Not ready to adult yet. And yeah. not Or adult uh, yet. It's a real sticking point, man. I, I say adult. I think because adulting is the... Is the, the how noun. you open the book you know, the, the, verb. Nouns, the verb sorry to describe or is it a verb I think I got that wrong as well I think it's a noun or it's a noun oh, no, it's adult, a noun. adulting's a verb because it's a doing it's a yeah and I think I call it a noun activity. in my book which is not a great start it's fine book. you're adulting the whole point is it's you thrust into yeah. responsibilities you didn't consider before well mm. you talk you talk in that about um, young people nowadays feeling like they need to achieve and hit mm-hmm. goals and you know get freaking trophies and stuff because yeah. They see it so much in social media. Mm-hmm. Um, was starting stand up a similar thing to that? Did you, when you began, were you like, right, I want to get to this, 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 and this by now, or was it more kind of like, oh no, I'm going to develop, I'm going to? No, totally. I think there is. I think there's, and again, it's all about levels to it because with stand up, there is a really competitive element to it. Because when you start out, there's lots of new act competitions. Mm. And those new act competitions are where you get things like agents and whatnot. Yeah. So you do well at those competitions. You can get an agent fairly early on. Whereas not, it becomes a bit of a grind. Yeah. You've got to then become good, which is annoying. <laughs> like, if you do well in a competition, you can get a pretty big name agent. And you've essentially got seven minutes of material. Yeah. If you don't win those competitions, you've got to wait till you're a fully fledged comedian which can take years so it's a nice little head start so it's a very competitive world and then you get an agent and when you're young and you're new I don't know what it's like if you started comedy later in life I don't know maybe you had more perspective I'd like to think so but I wouldn't know because I started really young you just think I've now I've done well in these competitions I've got this agent I need to be on live at the Apollo tomorrow I'm ready and then you watch your stand up back five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years later and you think, wow, I was not ready. That is not good. So yeah, it is a, it is a, 
it can be a weirdly competitive thing. But then also the counter argument to that is the people who do well are the people that are driven and they've got to you've got to back yourself. You in any any self employed world, particularly the arts, you've got to think I'm the best person at this, otherwise what's the point? Yeah, you are essentially like even with support groups, you're your own cheerleader. The stuff does not get done unless you make sure it happens. Whether that is preparing for, you know, like um, what's it like a tryout night or whatnot, or yeah. sending in self tapes or, or yeah. pushing for that sort of stuff. You would never. Why would you ever self tape yourself to audition for a role in a thing if you didn't think you'd be the best person for that role? Then you wouldn't do it. Don't go through the motions. For you've got like to, that. or you've got to at least put the belief in place even if it's somewhat artificial that you can trick your brain into thinking you are the best and maybe you can you know, make it happen how do you or, or like because yeah, you still obviously encounter this in your career at different times but especially in the early days how did you deal with rejection in, in the professional space like, yeah. like not, not getting a slot on something or you know meetings leading nowhere is like one of the most common despised things yeah. in the industry especially in comedy and family entertainment things yeah. like that how did you deal with it early on? I think I'm quite lucky in that I was quite young I think when you're young that sort of stuff well for me personally sort of breezed over me a lot more like there's a lot of things I didn't get that actually I look back and think oh, that's brutal I didn't get that but I didn't sort of think of it in that way at all to be honest So and it's also you, you've got to focus on your on what you do have and again I was in a lucky position where I was pretty happy with where I was at so mental health wise I sort of was happy with myself and happy with where I'm at and it's all about your self worth isn't it you've got to always with these things you've got to make sure you're not externalising your self worth because that's really dangerous Mm -hmm. so you've got it so hard but if you start measuring your self worth and your work then that's a very slippery slope it's a tough one and it's very easy to do and again it's so easy to say I'm not going to do that but it's hard it's really hard I I, I had a slip last year where I was just really kind of I was beating myself up about stuff Mm. the voice of reason that talked me around out of it was you you gave me the ring you're just like right sit back think about how you're doing this think about what it's doing for you and move on and I was like you're absolutely freaking right you can't put your own self worth into a vessel that you have no control over because mm. that's absolutely madness yeah like <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't do that with any other part of your body oh. like you, I, like you say some of people fall into a lot but it's like why would you why would you do that to yourself it's a weird detachment we have with mental health as well in the sense that you will allow for some reason getting a job or not getting a job to affect your happiness but like for example if someone phones you up and went Chris you're down to the final five to play the next Doctor Who and if you don't get it they'll break both of your legs you'd be like well I'm not obviously I'm not gonna that's mad but then if someone said I mean, I've, I've heard of worse contracts at the BBC I mean actually fair. and actually Doctor's a bad example because I think you would take that gamble you would take that gamble maybe but anyway, the point I'm making is... Or at least sell a story about having my legs broken yeah. by a Doctor Who. Oh, imagine it. Who, who, which one of the current Doctor Who lot would do it? Or break my Moffat. legs. Moffat. Nah, I, th- I think Whitaker. Whitaker. He's, got he's a, mean, a leg breaker. Got a mean streak. He's an absolute leg breaker, that Whitaker. 
you talk about people wanting stuff taken out of the podcast. I want to make sure you definitely keep that bit in. Oh, the Jody Whittaker will break legs. Yes. <laughs> yes, please. Quote me. Put that on the poster. Um, but yeah, so but then I think it's absolutely crazy that someone would, would go, you're down to the final five for this, and if you don't get it, you'll feel chronically sad for a year. And you do take that gamble. And society allows us to take that gamble currently. It's a really dangerous, slippery slope to go on. And it's not really related to this podcast, but then that happens a lot on social media as well, where people put their whole self-worth on how much people like a picture of their face that they took using their arm at, <laughs> le- at length. Or a stick, if this were three years ago. Uh, some people still rock yeah. that selfie stick. Have you ever seen those <laughs> tourists in London and in Piccadilly Circus that walk around with selfie sticks taking front-facing photos? It's like, why? Your phone does it. You've got an arm. It's absolute crazy talk, Chris. I don't mind saying. You've That's got, the sort of hard-hitting issues I'm dealing with here. Friends, they can do it. Yeah, but it's hard. It is really hard. And I've got lucky because things have sort of gone okay. But, but it, does, it does, like you say, it doesn't quite relate to the podcast per se, but it does a lot because there are people who listen to this who, who aspire to sort of uh, touch on the careers that like we've both gone through and, and, mm. and that others we've spoken to have gone through and everything. Um, which leads me, and they call this a segue... Uh, nicely into asking comedian Ian how does comedian Ian suddenly get approached to be CBBC presenter Ian comedian Ian which is a really hard thing to say not said yes. out loud comedian comedian went to London if that's not the name of your next show comedian. after failing upwards I'll be very sad might be <laughs> so comedian Ian or comedian <laughs> went to London and done a gig up of a pub mm-hmm. in front of several CBBC employees. Okay. And there's lots of quite well-known comedians there. I remember distinctly, Chris Ramsey didn't show up and someone asked me if they had his number. But Chris <laughs> Martin was there, not the Coldplay not, not one. Not that one. Yeah. The comedian Chris <laughs> Martin. Nathan Caton was there. Another comedian called Ian Smith was there. There was lots of brilliant London comedians. And I remember because they were all great London comedians, in London you do like seven gigs a night. Mm. But I just come down for the one gig. So they all left and I stayed afterwards and chatted to a woman called Christina Brown, who was Ed the Duck back in the day and was the boss of CBC Continuity. Which is a wonderful mental image when put that way, that Ed the Duck was mm-hmm. in charge of the present day. So had you come, That was it a showcase specifically? Or, yes, or, it was yeah. a CBC showcase that was on a comedy forum mm-hmm. that doesn't that no longer exists, I don't think. I think it's actually called comedyforum.co.uk or something. Yeah. So I, I went to that and then it went sort of okay. And then they asked me to come down to audition again and I said, oh, it's too near my exams. Mm-hmm. I can't come down. There's no chance. I can't do it. I can't do it. And they said, will you be in London at all in the next few months? And I was in the final of Paramount Shouldn't Come In The Year. Paramount Comedy Channel, which is now Comedy Central. Yeah. So, for argument's sake, Comedy Central Shouldn't Come In The Year, which was at the Comedy Store in London. So I said, I'm going down for that. And they said, if you audition in the afternoon, we'll pay for your flights. And at the time, I had no money. So CBBC, whether or not things went for that point, I paid for my flights to London. Yes, we yeah. the final. There was three of us auditioned, mm-hmm. so I went down, and my audition was probably the same as you. You had to do a scripted link, mm-hmm. yeah, an ad libbed link, yes, and then you had to write your own link. 
Sort of. I, I had a slightly messed up version after that. Because I, I had two auditions. Did, did, here's a question. Did they audition you at any point? Um, did you have a screen test prior to getting the job at any point with a puppet? Yeah, that this was with a puppet. Okay. Was it with Oucho or Dunstan? Dunstan the Brain. Okay, right. Because the pattern here at this point, I imagine why they were going for the showcases would have been to do with Ed's employment uh, and Holly specifically. They had a pattern at this point of hiring stand-up comedians and, and people who dealt with live comedy. Exclusively stand-up comedians. Yeah. This was in... Stan and Jeff were a theatre, but... 2009 yeah. was when stand-up comedians took all the presenting jobs from presenters. Yeah. Now reality TV stars take all the presenting jobs mm-hmm. from presenters. But back in the day, it was the stand-up comedians that were making presenters' jobs difficult. So, yes, it was with Dunstan the Brain, mm-hmm. uh, Adam, who was the Ad- puppeteer, Ad- and he Ad- had the job, yeah. he had the job as far as I was concerned, I think. And they were trying to find someone to present with him. And then I'd done the scripted one, mm-hmm. I'd done the ad-libbed one, and I hadn't written a, written a script one. Okay. Hadn't had time. Didn't do it. And they said, you can go into the office, write one and do it later. And I said, ah, it'll be rubbish. <laughs> so didn't do it. I mean, at least you were honest. Just like, it's two on the fly. I, I just no. couldn't be, but I can't be bothered. I'll do, I'll do the two and three. I think also in my defence, I was 20 years old and I was about to do a gig. Yeah. A competition at the comedy store. So I was yeah. also probably just really nervous about that. That can happen. I remember that audition didn't... Someone I auditioned the opposite was keeping their eyes on numbers for something that evening in the final screen test for President and that you could tell that was throwing them, so... Yeah, that was definitely... But at least you were honest about it. But then I think also, me and my partner have talked about this a bit, I think it was actually quite handy that I didn't want that job that much because sometimes I feel like all the stuff I've really wanted I haven't really got. There's that sort of desperation doesn't let you perform at your best. The whole point of especially kids presenting is it's that being at ease and being comfortable and being yourself. Yeah. So it's when it becomes natural to you. And if you're not as bothered by it, you are naturally more relaxed. So maybe mm. that helped. But I remember I thought that had gone really badly. And then I went to the Paramount Student Community Year competition and I got beaten by Tom Rosenthal. Okay. From Friday Night Dinner and Plebs. Yeah. One of my very good friends. And he... The joke of the night was a joke that I'd heard him do on YouTube and told him to do, and he'd done it that night, and it got joke of the night, and he won the competition. And I remember I was in a hostel. <laughs> like, hey, Tom, hi, how you doing? Well done. Yeah. Can I have 10%? Basically. So I was sort of <laughs> gutted where I'd come second in that competition. That in, that audition hadn't gone well at all, and I was in the hostel with my dissertation very behind schedule, and I was sitting next to a man who had left his puffer jacket on and was sleeping with his eyes open. What? Sorry, I went what? back to a hostel and there was a man sleeping next to me in the hostel and he, had a, he didn't take his puffer jacket off and he had his eyes open. He was, was he Was he asleep or was he dead? I think he, he was dead? a vampire. Oh, hell And yeah. I got really sad. <laughs> I got really sad. And I went back to London and I didn't hear anything for ages. Mm. And then they phoned me up and said, we might want you to come back down again because we're not going to use Dunstan, the brain anymore. We're thinking of Basil Brush. Have I ever told you this bit? I, I don't think I've, I've... I'd heard that he was considered, but that's all I've heard. So then, this is this is pure on the grapevine. I do not want to bad mouth the legend that is Basil Brush. Because I was pumped. Basil Brush is a legend. Um, but what I've heard in the grapevine is the people in charge of Basil Brush watched all the edition tapes and went, those amateurs are not getting near Basil Brush. <laughs> no one there is going to be the next Mr. or Miss... Something. So then Basil, Basil Brush pulled out, 
That's a sentence I'm definitely putting on the this, poster. This is the only <laughs> podcast where the phrase Basil Brush pulled out is an absolutely acceptable thing to have happened as a sentence. And then Christina Brown, who was the boss at the time, her husband was the boss on a TV show called Scoop. Yes, yeah, right. Starring okay. Barry from EastEnders and yeah. Hacker T Dog. Version 1. Version Hacker 1. 1.0. Um, who was originally Andy puppeteered Heath. by yeah. Andy Heath, yes. And he didn't talk, and he growled and grunted. I know Phil's dealt with this in depth, so we'll not get into that too much. But then, long, long, long story short, I hadn't heard for months, I genuinely thought nothing more about it. And then one day, about three weeks before my exams, I was in the library, my phone rang, Christina Brown phoned me and said, congratulations, you've got the job, and you'll be presenting with a dog called Hacker the Dog. And I got very excited. Yeah. And I watched tons of Ed Night Show videos, because mm. they're all on YouTube. Loads. Do you think that was the right or the wrong thing to do by the time you got into the studio? Probably the wrong thing to do for the first like two weeks, mm-hmm. maybe longer because we tried we tried to do what they did. But I think the whole team tried to do what they did because they were so good at what they did. Yeah, scripted stuff. Yeah, they they their style was the the sort of the more surreal, Sto- not even anarchic, surreal, but just anarchic, but weird kind of. Te- from a technical approach, it was heavily scripted, mm-hmm. thought through. There was a world would develop and had rules. Guest characters. And guest well. characters yeah. and little sto- running jokes. Whereas me and Hacker, I think, is more like an episode of The Simpsons. No matter <laughs> what happened that day, everything returns to normal. Yeah, there's a reset button at the end of yeah. every afternoon. Because you guys did, over the years, you did dabble with story and character stuff. With that all we did at the start. But, yeah, like, it, it took a while to get to the casual kind of... You two are... Well, it took about a year and a half of us always doing it wrong. You think? You think it was that long? Do you think? Well, maybe... But to, before... I mean, a year and a half before we just stopped even having script meetings. Maybe, yeah. I, mean, I, I, by, I think by the time they move up to Salford, there was that more kind of completely laid back... Well, yeah, they to, asked to, us... To the Ian and Hacker machine. Yeah, and I, don't, and I don't mean this as any disrespect. They would ask... They would Because, again, because of contracts, they would make us come in at 10 o'clock in the morning. But they wouldn't give us a laptop. And it was what's called hot desking. If you don't know what hot desking is, kids, it's where bosses say, oh, hot desking, you can sit wherever you like. It's explorative exercise. Then after three weeks, the boss goes, sit near to me or I'm going to mark you as late. That's what hot desking is from my experience. Yeah, it's so me and, the same here. Me yeah. and Phil basically floated about an office for three hours a day until lunch, annoying people. So we, didn't have, we weren't trusted with a laptop and didn't write scripts. And then by the end, we just got emails. And... So yeah, it started with, we'd have a storyline like, there was a hole in the roof and a bird yeah. threw in the hole and the bird made a nest. Then a, an explorer would come and find an egg in the nest and buddy, buddy, blah. And then it became Hacker thinks he's Elvis and then we would just mess about with that idea for a day. That was basically what happened. You were involved in the creative development of, of the skits and the ideas and whatnot. Obviously a lot more sort of in the early days when everyone was piling in. But I think that's important as well and they were yeah. really strict on as well Early on, they were really strict on we Ian and Hacker. We had to be together all the time. Mm. I wouldn't appear on anything on my own, and he wouldn't appear on anything on his own. Yeah, they were trying to very much solidify the idea of like you guys appear as, as an item. Yeah, yeah. We had to train, and this is everywhere at the BBC has to do this. Yeah, when you're live continuity, you have to any live show on the BBC has to train every year for what would happen if the Queen dies. Yeah. Yes. And again, I don't mean that. And again, this is not me being a controversial comedian. All I mean is, it's good to have the protocols in place. Yeah, it, it that is that's the top. There's like a couple of things you all have to be prepared for 
but like that's the one where you have to make special links that will be played out. Yeah, you have to approach it a certain tone. You have to because it's an yeah. incredibly significant event, and obviously it's it will be signed to off viewers. by like eight different. We people. have to explain to the children what's happened and why it's significant. But when we were rehearsing for those links, they would always try and keep the dog in it. Yeah. Which is just yeah. grossly offensive. Yeah, they eventually palmed that off on me. Of course they would. During CBBC Extra Records, because they were like, Chris is known for doing stuff on his own sometimes. So yeah, so you had to do it with a Chris, human. put a black t-shirt on and say, here's Newsround with some very special news, or here's Newsround with some very yeah, upsetting because you news. Could, you couldn't ha- a dog, <laughs> can't do a dog a can't dog. be sincere. He hasn't got it in his locker. <laughs> as so a yeah. character, never mind just the image of, of, yeah, a, of a man a character being character. serious and a, and a Muppet next to him. Phil, like... as a human being, doesn't have it in his <laughs> <laughs> locker. Yeah, and also, as, Kate, as Katie they... said, he's lovely on the surface when you're in a room with him, but the moment someone leaves he doesn't know too well, he turns around and expresses how much he wishes they were dead. Yes. <laughs> Apart from the Queen, who he loves. Of course, he loves the Queen and recorded special links to make sure that the matter is dealt with. Um, yeah, so I feel like... I don't think that's that. I don't think that scripted thing came from me being obsessed, which I was with Ed and Ocho. That came more from the whole team. That's how they'd always operated. Yeah. But then similarly, I'm sure there's presenters that came in, not you, but presenters that came in even to this day probably that come in or were in when me and Hacker were in that could have probably done with a bit of script. Yeah. And actually, me and Hacker could have probably been more accommodating to those people. We wouldn't rehearse and we wouldn't, do you know what I mean? We, we wanted to give it spontaneous. Oh, you mean in terms of just like... Uh, people that... Those just starting... Not approach, even just starting. Yeah. Some people, like, I mean, I'm, I'm bet, betting someone is experienced as like Graham Norton. I'm only picking Graham Norton because he's so experienced. Mm. He might be the sort of person who goes, actually, I quite like having a script. But we'd yeah. be like, nah, it's not what we do here. Give us the basics. We'll make it work. Give me a bullet point. What's the email? Yeah. Is <laughs> Where's the lever to pull the chair? Or is he Elvis or not? <laughs> yes or not? Is, is Hacker Elvis? So, yeah, that was it. <laughs> That's what happened over the over the eighteen months. We just became less and less professional, but but not from an unprofessional standpoint because that is what we were good at. The start. The, the style was completely different. But still, I mean, I, I think I was saying this on Ed's episode, uh, available now. Everybody go go back and listen. Look, I'm going to um, listen to that one because that do I get mentioned in that one? You do, you do get mentioned yes. in that one, and we talk specifically about like I, the CBBC office and that incarnation of the presentation and, and the generations of kids that grew up with that as their kids' TV. Mm-hmm. The sort of two benchmark eras of that, and I'll reiterate what I said there. No offense to Holly or Dan or Jeff or Adam or bloody London or Chloe or whoever, like. Like, there are two benchmark eras, and it's Ed and Out, Joe, and Ian and Hacker. And that's the two versions of it that I think will always be the ones people go, oh, that's what that was about, or that's yeah, what that yeah, was yeah. about. And it's that it's that sort of two extremes of, like, the surreal, weird, screwed-up sitcom, mm-hmm. and the more kind of laid-back, this-is-YouTube pratting around, yeah, making yeah, yeah. sure laugh kind of version. Um, but they still believably exist in that era. Like, they're both undeniably the CBBC office. I think they both... It's so- it's sort of hard to believe that it's happening, but it makes complete sense that it is. Yeah. It's yeah. mad to think that a man and a talking dog have been left in charge of linking into Newsround when they clearly have been quoting Alan Partridge to each other for 25 minutes rather than rehearsing And anything. that's just on air. That's on air as well as off air, let's yeah. be honest. And it's also completely believable that a man and a talking cactus have gone back in time and met King Henry VIII, <laughs> and, but also want to introduce Ooglies. That's the job description um, basically summarised up to a perfect two lines as well. Yeah, basically. 
so that was never an aim working there per se. It was never like a thing you went, oh, I'd love to do that one day. It was more, a, oh, that opportunity. Like, when yeah, I first right. got the job, yeah, if I'm being brutally honest, I remember I met with an agent when I first got to London and I was like, I'm doing this for six months to get my feet under the grip, under the table and then I'm doing stand-up. Learn some stuff, make a profile and, and then I'm going to concentrate on that then. Yeah, then two annoying things happened. Oh. <laughs> that made, made me have to do more than six months. Okay. One... Which I'm sure, to be fair, a lot of people listening are grateful that they happened. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. one was stand-ups really hard to get established in, in a short space of time. So I wasn't anywhere near established after six months. And of course, like you were then in that environment where you're saying like some people are doing four, five, six, seven gigs a night. I wasn't doing any. And like you still have to build it up. And two, me and Phil got on really well, and I really, really enjoyed doing it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is annoying. The stand-up's not gone as well as I would have hoped. And the other thing that I didn't want to do is brilliant. Hmm. So I kept on doing it. It's like, damn, I guess I will do it a little bit longer. Yeah, I will do it for longer, I guess, because it's like. I'm getting paid to do something that's really fun with, like, my, at the time, my best friend. Yeah. I know the feels. I, I was going to, I don't know if I ever told you this, I was going to leave Prez late 2013 originally because of the momentum with some of the voice acting stuff. I was like, I kind of now just want to canvas and push for that. And I'd found out I'd been held back and restricted from certain gigs without my knowledge prior to that moment mm-hmm. which is a whole separate thing which we'll get into in a live show one day maybe out of the broom uh, <laughs> cupboard unleashed <laughs> yeah. that was Basil Brush's Edinburgh show wasn't it Basil oh. Brush Unleashed I never want to see that sadly um, could have got on like house on fire second wind start a whole new different children's TV I think he liked me now maybe <laughs> but, he's um, rated but I stuck around because the team that took over mid 2013 and working with Phil I did get to that point where I went this kind of feels like we're in control of what we're doing now and I'm having a lot of fun with this. That's another great thing about... I'll stick with it a while longer. That's another really fun thing about the broom cupboard, especially when me and Phil first started, is no one really... And when I mean no one really cared, the people in that department really cared. Mm. But on a higher level, no one was that... There's no one overseeing the channel and going like, right, hang on, let's inspect every element of what's happening. We had a, we had a sketch once where I... Gave Hacker a bath, but I'd been to a bargain store. So everything was cheap and terrible, and Hacker was in a mood that I hadn't bought proper stuff. And the dog shampoo that I made him shampoo in, yeah. on the box said, warning, will cause death. <laughs> so I was washing a dog on children's television in soap suds that said, will cause death. And the bosses had told us, you're not allowed, you categorically can't do that. And our producer went, let's do it anyway, because it's live, they can't stop us. And it became a real bone of contention. Was this producer Guy Lambert, lady? Yes, I don't, want, I don't know if he wants to be named. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. He's been named and shaped on this podcast already as being somebody who prefers the joke over authority. I think he definitely preferred the joke. We all did. We all did. I think as you get older, I now quite prefer the authority. Yeah, well, I see, I, I, I'm still in that middle thing where I'm like... I, I would always push for whatever gets the laugh more I than think whatever it gets depends. The, the kudos. I think it depends what's your primary creative outlet, because I've always got stand-up. So with television, I'd much rather get on with the team that I'm working with mm, get the and, job have done an, and get yeah. the job done and have an enjoyable time doing it mm. and maybe compromise it slightly. Well, not compromise myself so like pu- push push the envelope a tiny bit and see, yeah. see how far you can go. But with I don't want to. I don't want to have to have a chat with anyone about it. And then what I can do is, 
if it's annoying, I'll just wait a year and then talk about them on stage. <laughs> Material for later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Works out perfectly fine. Uh, what do you remember of um, that last sort of four or five months in London before the move to Salford Keys? Because I know it had been spoken to everybody since 2009 that, hey, we're having fun here. But yeah. you're probably going to move to Manchester at some point in the next six no months. One which then became a year, year no one believed it. No one believed it. Did you think it was going to happen? At what point did you go, oh, oh, we are doing it? When they said to me, you're going to Manchester. <laughs> did you get? Did you find out as late as I did? Because you, you... To be honest you, with you, you, I... You did the so- Fringe in 2011, didn't you? Yeah, so I went to the Fringe and then that's when the move happened. That was the f- So basically, that was one of the big sticking points when I first started doing Kids TV. One of the only downsides was every year I wanted to go to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, oh. but which obviously falls over school holidays. So like me taking yeah. school holidays off would be like Gary Lineker having a contract with football at BBC, but what in the World Cup off? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So they were sort of like, I I understand it now, they were like, no, you have to do kids TV now. Mm. And I obviously saw that as, when you're young, the Fringe Festival is such a vital thing to your development as a stand-up. I felt like, that was the first time I felt like the kids TV was compromising my stand-up comedy. Yeah, that was the one time where the two things would straight up button. And I was too young to put that argument across in a reasoned and mature manner. Ah, did you just send them a big letter? Just didn't talk to them through Hissy Fit. Just through Hissy Fit for a day and then annoyed everyone and then got on with it. Was 2011 your first Fringe then? Uh, Yes. Yeah, because you would have done 2009 at Prez, wouldn't you? Yes, it was. 2010, it was you because 2010 was when I feared for my job because they split everyone up into a million teams and then I was going on holiday and didn't know if I'd have a job when I got back. Yeah, because 2010 was when I was going to do a show with Josh Widdicombe and Ivo Graham Mm -hmm. and I was really excited. And then they said I wasn't allowed to do it last minute, so I had to yeah. pull out. But then my friend Davy C, who's a brilliant comic, he took my place. But I remember that vividly. 2011, I, so I went and did a, 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 a multi-bill thing. Yeah, it was four of you, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. guy called yeah. Paul Curry is like a sort of like Steve Martin in the 80s, like sort of ma- maverick clown yeah. sort of guy. He's brilliant. Harry Kondabolu, mm. who'd done um, the Netflix series The Problem With Apu. Yeah, that was amazing. It's so brilliant. And he's got a stand-up special as well, which is fantastic. Uh, and uh, Phil Wang, mm. who then went on to be my flatmate. It's quite subtly to think about it, because I was living with <laughs> Phil Fletcher, and then I ended up living with Phil Wang. You only live with Phil's. I only live with Phil's from different continents. <laughs> yeah. Never the same continent of a Phil. You have a checklist, like a I bingo need, card. I need an American Phil for my next flatmate. <laughs> um... Would you settle for being in a flat with a picture of Phil Hartman? Would that do it? That'll do it. That'll be yeah. fine. Get one in this office. But yeah, so the Simpsons connection going. That's well. why I don't think I remember the move that well because was it you that had to deal with the go- all the rehearsals? Because I remember there was yeah. a team in London, right? And there was a team in Manchester. Yeah, I, I was told flat out mid-June in September you were living in Manchester. And I was like, I've, I've got a two-month cool down on my flat. Like, you, you couldn't have told me this sooner. But Maybe I, that was because of me going to Edinburgh Fringe Festival, so I do apologise. No, not at all. I, not at all. I, I think it was... I, I think I genuinely think it was just poor management on, on the press side at that point. Because it was, again, I think the move, they got the go-ahead and then it filtered down to everyone eventually in each department. Yeah, you're going to need to move or your contract's up, you want to do this, that, the other. Uh, so I, I ended up doing the summer holidays... In oh god, it wasn't all day. I don't think. No, it was all. It was all day. It was a morning and an afternoon shift for the summer holidays. It was me, 
London Hughes and uh, Warwick Brown or Pike and Phil from time to time and we all sort of split up and covered that that summer halls yeah and then me and Phil were sent up for four days to do fake links and pre-record the first AM links in the Salford and studio the queen, and you knocked out a few more queen ones just in case I mean we probably actually did probably did <laughs> just in case like oh, the same way that like oh we'll run a new studio we don't want it to be jarring the same way they, there's a hacker in a box somewhere like uh, like L Street yeah, Studios I didn't know, I didn't, or a nuclear I, fallout I didn't know about that until you mentioned it on this podcast <laughs> it's really weird I just hope someone who works there has found it realised it'll never be used and has taken it home that'd be yeah. a better thing to you know I'm not endorsing theft but when you've got a, like eight grand, a an eight grand bunch of Antron fleece and a second I left, box I left one of Phil's puppets on a bus once do you not know about that? Um, well, I, do, you, I you remember were, this. We were filming yeah. Scooby sketches. I remember this. And uh, who was it? Do you remember which puppet it was? Uh, it was Melvin O'Doom. Oh my God. Oh, oh, yeah, it was the Slammer. The Slammer's Melvin yes. O'Doom. So for those who don't know, Melvin O'Doom's a BBC Radio 1 DJ. But he used to be in Dick and Dom in the Bungalow. Yeah, he's the Slammer. Bungalow alumni. And when yeah. he quit the Slammer, a wizard turned him into a puppet. So Phil made the Melvin O'Doom puppet. And I was so his fil- last episode, he just did some voiceover and was like, am I done? Loads of voiceover, he was out of there. I <laughs> was left in charge by Phil Fletcher. He put him in a Tesco bank. Thousands of pounds worth of... Thousands of pounds worth of... Phil's first BBC commission, I think. Like, proper one. Like, outside like, of print. You'll make the puppet? Yeah, sure. Oh, okay, great. Like, Tesco bank. <laughs> and then we were filming Scooby-Doo sketches. We used to film these Scooby-Doo... I was always shaggy. Zoic Scoob! And then still got it. Got, still got it. <laughs> still bloody got it. And went into work. And as I got in, Warwick went, where's that? Phil said, you, can I see that puppet? Because he was obviously excited to see the puppet. Yeah. So Warwick's the other puppeteer. He was like, can I see the puppet Phil made? And I went, well, I'm not going to say what I went because it's going to be swearing. I wanted <laughs> to be not swearing. And then basically I was on the phone to TFL for it three hours whilst dressed, dressed as shaggy. shaggy. <laughs> yeah. So I'd be like, zoink school, we need to go to the bar. And I'd be like, um, hi, yeah. So it came in a, uh, it was on the two twenty from to White City, and um, it's in a Tesco. It's a Tesco. And then Warwick had to go. And someone's obviously nicked that. I've asked him that. I've nicked that. But anyway, they <laughs> like, found hey, it. You're a they you found it. So yeah, on our lunch break, we went to Wilston Green bus station, and they sat him in a chair and they gave him a sandwich, which I thought was a bit weird. <laughs> Mostly because they'd gone through your bag, essentially. Imagine finding that though. I can't believe I got it back. So yeah, anyway, the, the point I'm trying to make is that whole move to Manchester is a bit of a blur for me because I don't really because I left. Mm. I, it was actually amazing for me. I got to be away for the five weeks that it happened. Yeah, you kind of you, you went off and then came back to just a different. And locale. I'm sure I got a little bit of time off as well to do all of this America. All over the place, that travel show with Ed Petrie, only because I remember me and yeah. Ed were speaking in a New York accent the whole time. I can't do it now. I couldn't do it then. <laughs> but I remember my partner at the time, we had bought a house and she had to sort the whole house. So I walked into this house, got my ex wife. <laughs> this has got a third bedroom, like my ex wife. And the guy was like, How is this kid being able to buy a house? This is crazy. <laughs> Like, I don't know, hey, I'm lucky. So it was around, because that was around a few months into the Manchester thing, so I definitely had... Um, yeah, I think, you were, how long did you go out for the States? Were you out for a couple of weeks? Or, that might have been pre-Edinburgh. Mm. No, no, it can't have been. Yeah, that, after, that must so have been after Edinburgh. It was, yeah. it was a few months after. Yeah, because um, all of the place, Series 1 was 2010, recording, Series 2 was 2011. You're so encyclopedic knowledge, Chris. I'm autistic, it's a superpower. <laughs> I retain useless information. Ask me my mum's mobile number. What's your mum's mobile I've got number? I've no idea. 
Oh, Ask me what issue the Sandman debuted in Spider-Man. What time? When did the Sandman debut in Spider-Man? Issue four, obviously, nineteen sixty-three. Keep 1963. up. You know, great villain. Four-panel cover. He was. Ju- he just wanted to see his daughter. <laughs> well, not in that. But yeah, film he did in the great motion picture. In the comic, <laughs> he didn't. He was a prisoner. Yes, escaped prisoner. Is that right? That is right. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. I read comics as well, actually. But actually, annoyingly. That weirdly that relates because all my comic book collection is in. I left it in the attic. It's no word of a lie. I left it in the attic. I'm talking. Well, you you saw mine. It's not your it size. Was, it was, it was a substantial. I left it, it was... in the attic of the Manchester house. Oh, so that's, still, not, that's not somewhere where you can write back. There's that still place, part of me like that goes. Can I have a look in your attic? Because I think there's about seven grand's worth of comic books up there it's, I mean probably more now because a few of those unless they've been unless they've been damaged right, well it depends did you bag and board them I did but of course I bagged you're and boarded you're going to be fine I'll be fine probably still be at least an 8.1 on the thingy scale I'll be fine the old thingy scale so yeah right. um, yeah that was it that's what we used to always do didn't we on our lunch break we'd go to H&V and buy buy graphic novels graphic and... novels <laughs> and I'd buy t-shirts because I never had clean clothes my favourite thing about being next to the Westfield at Television Centre was going and just popping into HMV and being like, right, go and watch them two for 10 quid DVDs. But mostly because I think whenever you, me and Phil arrived in there, it was just this whirlwind of noise and the staff eventually got used to it and kind of laughed with it and it became the, oh, here comes trouble thing. I, I have often wondered whether or not their lives became significantly less interesting after August of 2011. I think a lot less stressful. Yeah, it yeah. caused cause more trouble than we alleviated. I don't think alleviated. they wanted us reading comics out loud in the different characters' voices. <laughs> you may think that. I probably agree with you, yeah. So the move to Salford happens, mm-hmm. and Ian and Hacker is, is, a, is a dead cert at this point. Like, it is it's part of the furniture. swing. It is the face of the BBC One, like, tie-in links. Um, yeah. We've done the last ever link on BBC One. You did, yeah. You did. Which was a pre-recorded... Because we used to do a live one, didn't we? There was always a live We did a live one. There was pre-recorded ones with the CBBS, the final, final, final mm. ones, but me and Hackers on the last sort of like... Because we, yeah, we used to do them live on BBC One. Yeah. And I used to get... The most complaint I ever got was that I sounded drunk. <laughs> that was the most complaint you ever got? Why is... That's not a bad complaint. We were on points of view, weren't we? Oh, oh God! Yeah, you made. If if anything, that's sort of the staple. I think we it. must have been the only people that got on points of view because normally points of view is like this is offensive or misleading. Yeah, ours was essentially this is bad. <laughs> Do you know what I mean they said it was immature? <laughs> but it was like it wasn't like there was no objective criticism. Yeah. It was I subjectively don't like this. I'm not a fan of this. That, Please that, that, acknowledge I that I don't like it. On I television. don't. I don't watch points of view, but surely. We must be the only people ever to have a complaint on points of view, which is essentially this is rubbish. Again, you could put that on the poster. I think it's true. You know, you should. You should. Do, do we that. explain that well enough? I feel like that might have come left to feel that. That's fine. That's we're talking about like a period of your life where you were interacting with a talking dog and yeah. in a cartoon office. So I think everything's kind of left to feel yeah, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're in Salford. Can I ask you a question, which I don't think I've ever put towards you, and I, ju- I just I have to know. I think for 2012, me's peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Did you hate doing the confrontation street sketches? Yeah, I despised it. <laughs> I despise it with every ounce of my being. I think there's a there was two element. There was two. There was. Do you know what it was? For those who don't know, it was a parody of Coronation Street, pre-recorded link. And I addressed a woman. 
Was that one of the two, like, I hate it. points I of contention? Hate, I hate dressing up. I hate dressing up and I hate doing voices because I can't do them. But if anything, I think that made Elsie hate Raisin even more. Was that my enjoyable character? Was that my character's you name? Elsie hate, hate Raisin. That's so good. <laughs> Just, I, I've never but even that, like... I would never think of that as a name now, my comedy now. Because I remember those things, like, the, I, I enjoyed the sketches, and you know me, I'm like, I'm any excuse to put on some stupid outfit and figure that, so that is kind of my bag, really, with sketch stuff, but, yeah. like, it was as stressful to do, because we'd have, like, an hour window to record five, two to three minute pieces that were mm. all dialogue, and all this, that, and the other, and yeah. static camp, but I just remember those things, thinking, are you alright, is he okay, are you alright? I wasn't okay you always, you always had, like, concentration face, but at the same time, like... At that point... If a tape went wrong, you're like, oh. At that point in my oh, life, I, at that point in my life, I was not okay. So dressing up as Elsie was, was like, not helping. So I was getting to a stage at CBBC. It got better towards the end where I started to, and it's this is not fair on the job. I started to resent CBBC because I felt it was getting in the way of my stand-up comedy, which again ties into all the things we're talking, talking about at the beginning, where I felt like I should be the next, I should be like Jack Whitehall, and instead I was. Dressing up as Elsie Hate Raising. <laughs> She's a beloved institution. So I shan't hear you speak of So that, that Confrontation Street sketches was a crossover of loads of things. First of all, it would be they fitted it in an hour that would have been an hour I'd have off. Yeah, it was always like 10.30 on a, on a Thursday morning so or something. Be, I'd have like, to where come, you're not needed in I'd the studio normally a, till like 2. I'd have to come in it hours early on <laughs> an already quite long day. Mm-hmm. I'd have to learn a script, which I hate doing. I'd have to dress up, which I hate doing. I'd have to do an accent, which I hate doing. All of this now, as an older man, I know comes from insecurity. I don't like doing accents because I didn't think I was any good at them. I don't like reading the scripts because I didn't think I could do it. Mexican is legendary. Arriba! (laughs) Um, But I now like doing all that because I know know it's bad, but I'm comfortable. I wasn't comfortable with myself. And it was that thing of, I got into stand-up thinking I was going to be like the next Bill Hicks. And I would just see myself dressed in this outfit. Especially when we had to film it with like a guest. Because the guests tend to be like children from the dumping ground. So yeah. I was a guy in his mid-twenties dressed as an old lady talking to a puppet dog and like a 12-year-old girl just going like, what has happened to my career? Like, what is going on? And none of that is fair on CBBC because it was good content. But I was taking out all my frustration. So what I was doing was being deliberately difficult to work with because I'd been miserable. So I wasn't happy. And I was putting my self-worth from external factors and myself off at the time was an old lady on a street in front of a cardboard door <laughs> if it's any consolation I think your performance was akin to Shelley Duvall in uh, The Shining I because well, you, were, you were driven by your emotions to create the most hateful lady on confrontation <laughs> but it also shows you how actually and again you would write the writers off you'd be like this is rubbish because you, again you're in your early 20s and you're a comedian you're like this isn't funny but actually, they wrote that character that worked because they had a miserable 20-year-old man. <laughs> and what's funnier than making a miserable 20-year-old man dress up as an old lady? There is actually, when you say it out loud, there is nothing funnier than that. Are there any sketches or like bits and pieces that would go on over the years that stick in your mind as like, that was my favourite? Not from Confrontation Street, genuinely, because I can't, no, but not because it was good, yeah. but I, rem- I really, really loved and remember doing and just thinking it was so... Out there and different was a Tracy Barker stuff we used to do. Yes. So it was like yeah. a Tracy. I mean, it wasn't even a Tracy Beaker pastiche. Every <laughs> there was a sketch where a Hacker worked in a supermarket. And he was called Tracy Barker, and I played a different customer every day. 
And the, basically, this, the, the joke of the sketch was there was an introduction, like a, a, a pre-title sequence and a credit roll, both of which were comfortably five times longer than the actual sketch itself. Yeah. And the link into it would always be, Hacker wanted to watch Tracy Barker. I said it was absolutely dross. And then he'd insist on watching it. Then there'd be a, then there'd be a 30 second introduction. Then there'd be a sketch where I go, can I have some grapes? And he'd go, we've only got pineapple. Then there'd be a 30 second credit roll. Just mugging to camera as the credits roll. And then it would cut to Hacker laughing his head off and me going, here's prank patrol. It was so <laughs> stupid. But I really liked it. And I don't think I'll ever do anything. You wouldn't get away with anything like that now on telly in general, I don't think. It breaks every rule of television. We tried to do a similar thing toward the end of my run in the afternoons and we got we did it twice and then we're told to stop. What by, was that? Uh, by the execs. It, it was, a, it was a, a character called Rancid Frank. And there was no reason for it. It was just, uh, welcome back to this and the other. But before we did that, we're just going to check in with Rancid Frank. And then it was a minute-long title sequence of just me slowly being wheeled past as this character past the camera so for a minute I had to keep a not a straight face but like not laugh as this thing played the titles asked a question it came to him he'd answer it and then the same thing would play in reverse with a different theme song and then would come back and would be like quality content here's this that and the other and move on and after two yeah, of, I think it was like two of them we were told please stop see a right, couple oh, of years okay. ago we would have two we, years back Tracy Barker would have been dominating the airway we would have dragged we would have dragged <laughs> Rancid Frank out for a couple of years <laughs> two links a day saves us any work mouldy Frank he would have been absolutely sodden the stuff yeah so as this is out of the broom cupboard uh, I'm not gonna focus too long on for now anyway because we can always get together again but I'm going to not focus too long on post CBBC stuff as a whole but I do want to do like a bullet point like yes. hey what's next and how did that inform this and where did that come from and yes. the other. so what was immediately after Prez you left in 2013 I left in January 2013 still doing shows you're on all over the place for uh, quite a few seasons all over the place 12 again I think uh, I was doing Hell and Spider just magic yes that was the norm um, and don't get my homework and started by this point no no. 12 again. So basically my last day, this shows you, my last day, Cheryl and Joe Godwin, Cheryl Taylor hey. and Joe Godwin took me for, it was going to be for dinner but I had a gig. So mm. it was one drink. And my last day in press, they said, BBC Scotland the pilot in this panel show mm. about, about homework subjects and they want you to host it. So that came around. So when I was leaving, we piloted that. Yeah. The pilot episode... The lineup. Mm. You ready for this? Hit me. Lucy Beaumont. Bloody hell. Um, Louisa Omelon. Yeah. Rob Beckett. Mm-hmm. Romesh Ranganathan. Okay, that was the pilot. That was the pilot. Was this on aired? I don't think it ever aired. But Romesh Ranganathan was going to be the regular panellist. Yeah. And originally the BBC didn't want him. They Why? didn't want a grumpy man. Oh. On kids TV. Oh, okay. And me and Richard Grocock, who was the series producer, were like, he's brilliant. And then it was mad, because then at the start of series one, Romesh just went mad. Yeah. Remember, series Sky one, he'd done most of it. He had to cancel a few. Series two, he managed about half. Mm-hmm. Series three, we moved an entire filming day to the morning so he could <laughs> film it before he'd done the SCCC Hydro supporting Kevin Bridges. That's the <laughs> rise that he had. Meteor- meteoric. You guys called it. You guys it's called very it. good. So, yeah, so I, I was... We were, we were, we were kind of... Did, come up with Dog and Homework as an idea. I don't know... This is also mad. That's how long ago it was. We done a thing called Fat Pipes, 
which was meant to be an iPlayer-only thing, and it didn't work because they didn't think anyone would just go to the iPlayer and not use television. Which is weird, because two years later, that's all they're pushing content It's for. crazy, right? So we done, I've done a thing for 2015 BBC. was full of, we need to make stuff for the digital, yeah. and we might air it. Yeah, so I've done a thing called, for, for Fat Pipes for BBC Free, but it's just for iPlayer. Well, I was working on Dog at My Home, and I was on tour with Russell Cade. Mm-hmm. So I took... Was that 2013? Yeah. yeah. I basically... I was really lucky. Like, I finished CBBC at the end of January, and by, like, February the 3rd, I was on tour with Russell Cade. Damn. So I remember the And first... also, your most prominent and prolific role to date in Scoop Series 2 and 3 repeats as Newspaper Boy. Let us not forget that. I still get payments for that. <laughs> that's the only thing I get under equity. It's the only thing I've ever done that's covered under equity. Can you believe that? Well, you were an actor, and the footage was reused in every episode for two series. So. I make, I've got like 12p every now and again, it comes from my door. Um, put, in the, so, put in the Freddo investment fund. Yeah, just doing that, and then I just kept on doing stand-up. And then uh, little bits and bobs here and there, and then eventually I'd done a, I've done a voiceover on a show called uh, Who Let the Dogs Out, which Ashley and Pudsey trained... R.I.P. Pudsey. R.I.P. Pudsey, what a lovely guy. Uh, Ashley and Pudsey uh, trained children to train their dogs to do tricks mm. that was a voiceover that got sent to ITV for real did that transfer no that oh. got sent to ITV so they could hear my voice oh and right. then yeah. from that I got asked to do a television programme called Love Island never heard of it and from then and then everything else from then has been in the Daily Mail <laughs> god I know I know once upon a time in your childhood, you sort of go, oh, well, I've been mentioned in the local paper, this is great. There's one paper, well, no, there's quite a few papers we don't really want to mention in them. I like them all. I've got no issue with any of them. Why are you winking? I'm not. You can do that to me. <laughs> it's audio medium. I can pretend you're doing anything. Put you're some l- pants on. You're lucky this hasn't got a wide enough listenership to get me in trouble. <laughs> Yet. Guys, spread the word. Um, <laughs> so, no, I'm kidding. Um, I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And we're the hosts of The Big Damn Cast, a weekly pop culture podcast full of nerdy news and geeky gossip, available every Thursday on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. But that's not all. <laughs> that's right, Chris. Why are you laughing? We're expanding to create regular video content, and we need your support. To get access to Big Damn exclusives, including our Discord server and video commentaries, head over to patreon.com forward slash bigdamncast and support us for as little as $1 a month. We're grateful for any support you can give us. So grateful, we may even reveal the location of the antidote. Chris, just, just stop. Okay, so Love Island, first series you did was 24. 15, 2016? I'm guessing so. We've done five now, so it must be 2015. Yeah. 15, 16, 17, 18, yeah, 15. And this is the second incarnation of Love Island, isn't it? Yes. It was Celebrity Love Island in mm-hmm. the early, two, two, early mid-2000s. Yeah, Paul Denan. George, mm-hmm. not George Best, that would have been impressive. <laughs> the <laughs> other Best. Callum Best. Callum Best, etc., etc. <laughs> this is incarnation number two. How yes. was that pitched to you? Was it like... Out of, we just want your voiceover, or was it we we kind of want you there out creating of, it? Honestly, out of nowhere, like a, a phone call from my agent. I was sort of like that fat pipe thing hadn't worked. Mm. Dog get my homework was happening, but like 
was like a kids TV thing. Only part of the year as well. Because and and like, it's, I mean, it's a panel show. Because yeah. it's a panel show, yeah, they, they make a certain amount and then it's just repeat ad infinitum until yeah, they commission a new series. Ten days of filming on CBBS, on children's television money is not getting you far. No. Um, ten months of filming on kids television money is not getting you very far. Not really, no. Sad, which is a real shame actually. It shows you how committed the people are that do it. Which is admirable. Um, so nothing was happening really. And then that just came, fell out of the sky. And it's very similar to CBC. So I said no to it loads of times, and eventually just. You're like, oh, go on. Phil mate. Wang, this is now the new Phil that I lived with at the time. Phil 2.0. Phil 2.0 said, you, you sort of go to Edinburgh Fringe Festival and lose loads of money to get this sort of opportunity, so you should definitely do it. So I've done it. It's like, take it out this year, go for it. If you don't, really don't enjoy no, it. No, if it's it terrible, again. no one needs to know you've done it. Yeah, because so, it's one and done in and out. Exactly. Um, for those who don't know, Describe in bullet points a day on Love Island. Going at 2 o'clock p.m., which is ideal for me. Yeah. And actually quite some of his press. yeah. <laughs> Rock up at 2, get given what you need to be given. Get given this, I get given the actual episode. I don't watch anything else. Partly because I want to watch it like a viewer. And secondly, when I get interviewed, I can hand on my heart and say, I don't know, I've not seen anything behind the scenes. <laughs> And then watch a show, and me and a man called Mark watch it all and write jokes about it. And then we record it, and then we sit about for hours on end waiting for the bosses to sign that off. So there's still the kind of that weird waiting period from the upper like levels of, of the decision making and everything, but you. It's not even necessarily decision making, it's just because I can't go home till the whole show's signed off. Because if they change yeah. anything, they might need to change the voiceover. So what's the latest? And when I say. When I say I'm waiting around. I'm not waiting around for them to painstakingly go through my voiceover to see if I'm allowed to do it or not. It's more I'm waiting for them to painstakingly go through the whole show. Yeah, and to, then and then maybe come to because they might like, go. That storyline goes nowhere. Take it out, put a new one in. Then I've got to redo the whole voiceover. Write some new stuff, or they'll come to you and be like, "We're just not sure about that choice of words on that line." Or they, yeah, or they might line. go, "Can you change this one joke?" And we're like, "Well, that's a joke that we call back to three times. There's only yeah. eight links in this show, and three of them reference that joke, so yeah. then that becomes a thing." So what's the latest sign-off time? Sp- oh, we, Sp- Spanish time. I've been recording. <laughs> I've been recording episode uh, part four when part one and two are on telly. Bloody hell! Yeah. Okay, so kind of late turnaround then. There's been a couple of times. <laughs> it's never happened yet. There's been a couple of times where it has been floated that I would do the line live. Chris would just get you into the broadcast truck and be like, "Get over that microphone." Get me in the view, but patch me through. Jesus, where that's. See, I mean, it ne- it's never happened. I suppose. I suppose, really, t- to me, I hear that. I'm like, God, that sounds terrifying. But then I think about, it, I'm like, that's kind of what you'd be doing Monday to Friday anyway, but with your face in it. And everything. I remember like, thinking when you first walk on television, you cannot believe how it just happens. Hmm. Like, I remember my first day on Help My Spider Just Magic when I was in the. So I used to do like three days filming, like doing all the links. Hmm. And I remember the in first time... In a warehouse full of boxes. In a warehouse full of boxes. And I remember the first time it had been my management Avalon used to do a big Halloween party every year. Mm. And me and my girlfriend at the time had stayed out to like four in the morning partying very hard. And I was filming at about seven and I was so hungover. And everyone from Objective had come down who make it mm. and CBBC and all that. And I read the script like two or three times and they went, all right, let's start recording then. And I remember thinking, but there's obviously big cameras and a big team. And I thought, yeah. surely there's like hours of rehearsals and then you they were like just get in get on just, it just bash it and I couldn't believe if you how quite, again yeah I couldn't <laughs> believe it it's kind of better almost in a way just oh yeah through. I mean it makes total sense now but at the time you just assume telly's this 
mystical beast that you you know rehearse. It's not like film. It's not like studios are throwing it's hundreds like, of thousands a day into it. It's not it. like things that have got money. Such a body's not come out of the trailer, I guess. We'll just pick that up tomorrow. Everyone still gets paid today. It's like the TV mm. is not like that. TV is they're not doing it. Right, quick, bring someone in and we'll do this. And yeah. this Ian wants a glass of water. Who does he think he is? <laughs> <laughs> um so so look ahead to the future. Love Island, do we know if there's a another series commission? Is it official? I think it's official, mate. I think it's official. I'll double check before I put this out. No, I'm, 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 I say I think. I'm, yeah, it is official. Then again, if you say it is official, then that is out November, the there's so another one in January. If this comes out in November, it's Jack, you've only got Christmas and Love Island starts. Oh, is, two, is it two series next year? Dos. Dos. Blimey. And that's again, same production schedule of like, just under Well, it's in South ish. Africa, but it's the same vibe. Oh, nice. Okay. You're looking forward to that kind of change of scenery? Or yeah. I think so. Still up at 2pm. I'm hoping it stays the exact same. Up to the production facilities. I'm not suggesting you wake up at 2pm. I, I wake up at 1pm. <laughs> I've yawned thinking about it. <laughs> um, and also next year, I'm going to get this in now, and I'll reiterate it again in a little bit. You're touring. Yes. You are touring next year from March? March, when yeah. I get back from Love Island. Yeah, failing upwards. Failing upwards. How long is that tour on for, and what's the name of your website? Say it at least three times in a row. I can't remember how long the tour is on for. A number of dates. It's on all, it'll be near you. The, you're doing a Lowry date, aren't you? I'm doing the Lowry. The yeah, till the end of the run. The very last show's Lowry, so we can go for a few Swifties after, I Cheeky believe. bevs, there we a go. A few Sundowners. <laughs> it's the last, it's genuinely the last one of the, of the tour. Is it? Yeah. That's oh, the one yeah. thing I do remember. But that's next year, and you can get tickets from? IanDoesJokes.com That's? IanDoesJokes.com So you can even wrap it. So there we Ian go. Does. Well, speaking of raps, a certain rap might get brought up in the next few minutes because you patrons got in touch, you lovely bunch, you support the show, thank you very much. Thanks, for, by the way, well done people that do Patre- Patreon, I call it Patreon. Oh, it's Patreon, they're, they're patrons. Patreon. Well, see if you see Patreon, the great thing about Patreon is it allows people like you to make stuff like this, hmm. because this shouldn't happen. <laughs> it shouldn't, it's bizarre. And it's odd and very niche. And it's so niche. So if you enjoy it, for the price of a cup of coffee a month, once a month, make a coffee at home and put it in a flask. It's good for the environment. And the two quid you save, give it to Chris yeah. to do this. You pay for the, the production of the show existing. So, so do it because you, stuff like this doesn't exist anymore and it should. So help us. Without them, you. I got uh, without them, I would have got down here maybe four days ago on a mega bus and slept in a bus station. So well now, done, team. No, sleeping in my house, <laughs> and I charge very reasonable salaries. <laughs> All of October and November's Patreon donations are covering the cost of me staying at Ian's. But he does do toast in the morning. I've been told. I don't. Ah, Chewy Mort. Chewy Mort. Chewy Mort says. What is the most unusual place someone has recognised you as him off the telly? Mm, in a library, in Stratford-upon-Avon, soaking wet, dressed as a woman. Yeah. This is detailed in your book as well. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. In the book, yeah. Well, that was the lowest <laughs> point in my professional career, genuinely. I've never felt sadder. But it makes for a really good like story in the book. But I just show you, it's that thing we're saying about, I had ex- completely externalised my self-worth at this point, and uh, all over the place, which I love doing, it was the first or second series, but basically they said, Ian, do you want to record a travel show with Ed Petrie? And I went, of course I do. 
Yeah. Do you want to see a script? I've not got time. I don't read the script. Remember, we've discussed this, as I've said before. And <laughs> Just I, get me there. It'll be fine. Like, and I got there. I got there. And they went, go to costume. And I walked in. And there was a full, like, it's sh- I was playing Shakespeare's wife. Yeah. Full thing. Wig, makeup, everything. And we were singing a song about Shakespeare. It's on YouTube still. Yeah. Ed Petrie sends me, <laughs> records it, and as him just giggling. <laughs> Sends it to me all the time, <laughs> and so but th- this one I'd left Prez or was leaving Prez, and I'm like, right, I'm now definitely Bill Hicks now. This is it, and I had to go into Shuttle and Avon on a Saturday at the height of tourist season, get out of a van, dress as a woman. I've never felt more mortified in my life. Like the th- I couldn't believe when when the van pulled up, and I knew I was going to get out into general public dressed as a woman. Yeah, and this ridiculous <laughs> outfit. I was like, I can't genuinely can't believe this is happening and we had to sing this song but they, they they play it off a phone so no one could really hear the song so me and the editor just skipping down the road tourists were coming up to us and asking us like directions because we obviously dressed as Shakespeare and Shakespeare's <laughs> wife so we had to keep them doing retake and retake and at one point it rained and I had to go into the library to stay dry and a kid looked at me and gave me a pound nah, that's what happened there was a silver lining to it. You still earned an extra. You, you technically that is like working I retail. 50, I earned fifty one pounds that day. <laughs> That's like working retail in a fabric store and selling your wares under the counter. Oh, it was so bad. <laughs> but the, the show's amazing, and actually, in hindsight, it's a really funny video if you watch it. Yeah, but say. if you watch it, think if you think we done twenty passes of that song, and you can they still use shots where you can tell I am miserable. <laughs> Tragedy equals comedy, fact. Plus time. Tragedy plus no time. That is just a sad man singing. You and Phil did a link about that. I've just randomly had a flashback. He sings about a clown who loses all of his friends and walks off down the road and is never seen again. And he says, there you go, funny. You said, that's not funny. And he's like, comedy equals tragedy, fact. And you're like, that's not it. I've just suddenly flashed back to that. I don't remember that. You are in the gallery. You're unbelievable. I've got problems. Uh, but tell you, doesn't have problems. I hope. A Town 2001 Dev says. Question what's, for that, Ian. what's that name? A Town 2001 Dev. A Town 2001 Dev. A Town 2001 Dev. What a wonderfully detailed name. I think there might be an extra member of the Self Solid crew. Question for Ian. What was your favourite part of presenting CBBC? Um, the immediacy of it. Mm. The immediacy of it. Fat, me and Phil, obviously working with Phil is a game changer. And whenever I wasn't with Phil, I was needlessly, which seems to be a theme, miserable about it. But the idea that me and Phil could, one day, me and Phil would be in the house getting drunk, drinking Blue Wicked, and we would decide that your name's Yonko. Right. And then the next Please. day... Repeat that now so I can contain it in a soundbite and just send that to everybody who asks me because it is the most common question. Me and Phil Fletcher were in our flat and the (laughs) roof had burst and there was water coming in. So we had to sit on either far thing. This is the flat in Kensal Green. Yeah. Yeah. And we said to the landlord, can you fix our flat roof? It's leaking. He went, I've got no money. And we didn't hear from him for four months. We just let it leak. It's the flat that features in the man, the man who lived with puppets. If you want yes. to see what my flat looked like, it's YouTube it. YouTube a man who lived with puppets. So you then, some you drown Phil some. Fletcher started saying your name with a soft Johnson, Chris Young, Johnson, Young, 
Jonsen, 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 Yong, and that became eventually Yonkson, Yonko, Yenke, yeah, and then it went from there. So Chris Yonko. That became a song on the channel and stuff like that. Even after you left, it was on your sign card. Yeah, it was on your sign card. It was on my sign card to the point where I just kind of had to go. Yeah, sure, fine, okay, Chris Yonko Johnson. There it is. It's done. Yankee peg. But you said about the immediacy, like you two were doing that that evening, and then the next afternoon. The next day, you came in and called you Yonko. Yeah, you didn't do it in the rehearsals. Just live did. link. You just whipped it out. And then that was it. We one one I night. I you breaking down. One night, like, wetting we, yourself with laughter, and I'm like, "What is happening?" One day we got really <laughs> bored and we started drawing faces on cups, and then he became one of the major characters, uh, Harry Tonju. Yeah. And then one day I remember. Bear in mind, this is mine and Phil's thing. Then one day, on a live link, I smashed Harry Tonju, which is a polystyrene cut the face on it. Yeah. And everyone got like so somber like at a funeral and was like oh we're going to have to tell Phil so then I got really worried because I was like well I didn't I don't think he'll care so I ended up phoning him up and going oh mate because I think he's filming Hacker Time I just smashed <laughs> Harry Tunji and then and then um, Phil went why are you telling I don't care I just passed the cup and make another one I remember the afternoon because the, the, the whole thing they were saying was like well see if Hacker was there then he's in on the joke but Ian just smashed Hacker's friend when he wasn't there it's like it's a cu- it's Hacker a time had a recurring it. gag where it got destroyed every episode Phil had a cupboard of them that he made like, so yeah that so I, love, weird. I love stuff like that where you could just decide <laughs> that a cup had a name and that would be the theme for the day Rainbow Sky hello Rainbow Sky Rainbow Sky says which is harder CBBC or presenting ITV2 shows, and why? So I guess this is like comparing presentation to celebability. I or... find, we. I thought it would be the other way around, but I find ITV2 harder. I think, and I don't know why, I've got a natural um, lean towards kids' TV where I just find it quite easy. Maybe it's because Prez is so intensive. Yeah, like it, 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 it's, it is your Monday to Friday. You do it five. every day, yeah. You're doing seven links in quick succession over an afternoon. Whereas Celebability will be eight to ten episodes filmed over six or seven days and then you won't do it for a year then you sort of start again and you're all rusty again. Especially now that I don't do as much presenting as I used to because I'm doing more stand-up mm. and voiceover. Yeah. But yes, yeah, certainly I find kids' TV easier. And again, it might be, humour-wise, I think it's, I find it easier to be the funniest person in the room when it is when the when the weapons available to you are to have to be children friendly. Mm. We were saying before, like you, the the limitation you set yourself means you sort of have to be creative in a different. Way. And I don't know how many comedians uh, who are very good, like who are very good comedians, are also very good at doing that sort of humour that would be family friendly. Oh, I know the, a lot the amount of... that come in as characters from shows and stuff on present would, would be unsure like in between the links just sort of like oh I'm a little I'll be honest I'm nervous you're like why? Yeah. you stand in front of people all, all the time like in a live environment but I guess it's a different yeah, thing yeah I'll walk onto Dog at my homework and be like I'm really confident if I ever done something like Mock of the Week I'd be like oh I'm going to be the worst one on this <laughs> what's happening yeah. in front of an audience of 700 kids and you're like yeah I've got this whatever I'll just talk about walking doing a poo or something kids love that have you ever called Marek Hacker? No, never, but I do love Marek. Marek is basically what Hacker would happen. If ha- Marek is Hacker, if Hacker was human, I'd like to do jokes about them. <laughs> to those listening, Ian just said the word uh, dollies. 
Um, so there you go. E for the awesomest. Now, you of course uh, work for both. You're under contract with uh, at least one of these at, at the moment. So, uh, but do keep in mind that this is a patron, and as part of their patronage, you have to answer their question. I will obviously work, answer. Look, I will answer the question truthfully. Did you prefer working at the BBC or ITV? Um, um, it's a very good question. You can go diplomatic with it. If you I'm want. not. Do you know what? I'm <laughs> not even going diplomatic. I, I, I think, in hindsight, the the whole. BBC TEC era of Eden Hacker was amazing because it was my first job out of university. I went straight to Television Centre, which is one of the most iconic buildings in the world, working with someone that I'm having a relationship, an on-screen relationship that I've never had with is that strong ever, and it was just really fun. And we were left to our own devices, and mad stuff happened. Like we had days where we'd come out of the BBC bar, and Eddie as I would run past us going in to do Jonathan Ross after doing his fifty marathons and. So in that way, BBC's got an iconic history to that. I remember, I remember yeah. Phil Tufnell out in the donut having a cigarette in between yeah. Strictly dances and Brucey walking around. And you know, I mean, it was crazy. Um, you know, I mean, loads of great stuff. ITV, I've not really had that same iconic thing. I think Love mm-hmm. Island, when I look back on it, would be like, wow, that was what an iconic thing to have been part of. Mm-hmm. But I think certainly the BBC has that like soft sort of heritage. It's nothing to, to do with the people or the or anything like that. But it's just that sort of like that time in my life, like my early twenties, on telly, doing what I want in that building. Yeah, it was great. Sort of like the under sort of the influence of Vic and Bob and things like that. Knowing yeah. they're also down the corridor filming, shooting the stars. Yeah, trying and... to trying to quote like Re- Lee and Herring sketches because Richard Herring tweeted that he's watching kids TV so me and Phil would start dropping in like Richard Herring stand up into our links to see if he liked it oh someone likes yoghurt like it's so niche but we've done it he wasn't watching he was watching it on BBC One ah uh, uh, what is the most like niche quote you managed to slip in Somebody likes, likes yogurt's pretty. That's pretty. That's pretty there. That's from Richard Herring's um, stand-up show. Someone likes yogurt. <laughs> that's pretty niche. You got a lot of partridge in there. So much partridge. Partridge niche. I suppose it not, is for six-year-olds. I guess for six-year-olds. I mean, the, 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 Phil, ev- nearly every voiceover Phil did for items ended oh. up just becoming talking like this. Oh. No, like, I mean, the many times <laughs> we started likes of me screaming the hacker, I'm not driving a mini metro. <laughs> But then, like, for no reason. I'm not driving, I'm in the metro. Welcome back, everyone. That was Tracy Beaker. I do you remember this one bannet just opening up with you pointing at the props and yelling, It's a sign! And then carrying on with the link, like... Probably, that probably happened. In a way that baffled probably everyone by one or two adults watching. I think oh. Steve Coogan would watch that and not get the reference. <laughs> to be fair. Ricky, or specifically Dot Ricky says, did you prefer working on CBBC in London or in Manchester? Probably London, because it was my home, and um, me and Hacker were together all the time, and I liked the amateurishness amateurishness of the studio, Mm. and... Which, as we've discussed before... Was just an editing suite with some camera tripods and a small security cameras. They were literally yeah. security cameras. Just they were in. actual security the cameras. The stuff you'd find on the ceiling at Debenhams. Yeah, on tripods. 
Basically, yeah. <laughs> so that, but nothing to do with the people or the work or anything. Just I like the environment again. Right. And like television centre is iconic. Yeah. Oh god, yeah. But then I'm get Salford will be iconic in years to come. Yeah. I got the lucky thing of tagging on the end of television centre where it already worked up all the iconic bits. We got to lay out the dynamite, basically, and yeah, well, we got in to, East Tower, not we, literally. We got to walk around going. We're all on the BBC gravy train line. I wish I was. <laughs> like, like when Alan Patch's done when he didn't get his sick. Give me a second service. Yeah. I'm a member of White City. I'm a member of a members thing at White City now. And they've got like a big posh swimming pool underneath. And the top floor's got like a, a top floor swimming pool. I might take you there tonight. It'll make you feel so sad. I'll be... Oh, thanks. You it's really not a show girl. No, meaning just because it's like... Remember when we used to get like curly fries and do all that and it was a grotty... It's now like... Like quinoa buffet and like oh. leather seats and people with iPads writing screenplays. Oh, of course, because it's, it's gone full circle. It's gone from being a t- place where TV's made to possibly not being that... To no, it kind of is that again now. It is that just with some flats and some sports clubs. Yeah, swimming pool, which is lovely. Which is I went there weird. yesterday, hungover, went for a swim, lay down on the um, the lounger, and woke up four hours later. Well, I hope that answered your question, Ricky. Uh... I can't remember what your question was, Ricky. But you know what? Thank you for donating to the Patreon, and more people should do it. In fact, if you haven't donated to the Patreon yet, do pause this and do it now. Yeah, you swine, swine. <laughs> Uh, Sean's Puppets are there any Ian and Hacker moments that you still reference now or get reminded of Corkers yeah you, you, I think anyone who has existed in the, the orbit of Phil has adopted that word into their vernacular but you definitely have yeah it's never left you it doesn't feel like you're putting it on for reference uh, yeah I just said it yeah I know <laughs> I do know what you mean by that it, sometimes people like, the, are you all right, Cockers? And you're the, like, the, you don't say that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't say it as much as I used to. I must admit, but I used to say you feel. In my last ever link, you can watch it. I was. Yeah. I always tried to say you bunch of you filthy bunch of cockers, <laughs> and they wouldn't let me. And then on my final link, I said, "Welcome back, you filthy bunch of cockers." <laughs> really emphasised the first syllable in that as well. Really naughty of me. And then you can you can just see Hacker's mouth doesn't open, but he does laugh. Yeah. You know, that and weirdly, what's happening more and more as people get older, chair rap. And you remember chair rap? Around. We used to sing a song called. We only done it once, and which is mad. We done it once on a live leg that was never shown ever again. Mm. Chair goes up, chair goes down, chair goes mainly round in our round. Chair goes up, chair goes down, chair goes main. And I went, chair goes up, chair goes down, chair goes mainly around and around. I got my chair from a scrap peak round. I got my chair from out of town. Yo yo, let's be specific. My chair is pretty terrific. Two foot wide, three foot high, got no arms on the sides. And lots of people mentioned chair up to me. You do realise it was ten years ago and you so just recited long. it perfectly. Not perfectly, I got a few bits wrong, I'm annoyed about it. <laughs> I think after a decade, that's as far we're just gonna get. Sean's puppets does the the, the chair up has come up in the chat, but they also mentioned they quite often say, Help me out fit but like like a costume oh yes <laughs> what was that oh yeah when they drew hackers outfits they wore them but in case anybody, in case anybody doesn't get that obscure reference fit. they used to a feature called help me out fits and that's how the opening bit went and hacker <laughs> i remember they would have to go 
bang his arms off his head. I remember we done that, we done that sending called Lampost in, yeah. where people would send photos of the film at Lampost. And one time we got so few entries that my mum, I was taking my mum to a West End show that night and we just got my mum in for two legs because no one had sent any pictures of lampposts. <laughs> See, it's hard to um, market things through social media and even television. Yeah. It's hard That's to why you should donate reach. to the Patreon. Yeah, to the lamppost Patreon. Uh, Chris Wood, uh, penultimate question. I'm going to go from my regular angle. Mr. Sterling, what's the closest you've come to crossing the line and getting fired from kids' TV? Or to put it another way, what's the thing you can't believe you got away with saying? Biggest one we got in trouble for was when um, I had a, a, a balloon pump and I put the pump in Hacker's bottom and then screamed, <laughs> I'm pumping you. And then Hacker got an air baby. That's perfectly innocent. We thought, we genuinely thought it was very. We it's cartoon logic. We thought <laughs> nothing of it. We genuinely thought nothing of it, and it wasn't until the next day when our boss went, "Wait, you screamed, I'm pumping you," and then Hacker got pregnant, and then we went, "Actually, when you say it like that, it's not ideal." But at the time, hand on my heart, we, it was completely innocent. But that was very near to getting a lot of bother. And finally, Matty says, I loved watching you and Phil laugh hysterically when stuff went wrong. What were some of your favourite mistakes or bloopers? There's so there's mainly when things fell on Phil, but he could Skeletons. There's, there's a skeleton <laughs> once fell on Phil. The worst one was a, we had a book of made-up words that was like genuinely about three stone. Like, I'm not exaggerating. This thing was massive. Mm. I think it might be on YouTube, this. You could put a link on the thing somewhere maybe if, if yeah I'll, I'll, I'll put but this in the description if not I'll put it out on the Instagram account this book fell off the table and it lamped like <laughs> lamp fell on the head and I'm talking like a hardback like massive those like massive encyclopedias that are like really expensive to buy it was and one it, of those where like wax him on the edge you look at the inside of it you're like this is worth something if not for the weight alone it's just an old ass book that's yeah. the prop story honestly it, there was no need for it to be that heavy a book <laughs> And it thumped him on the head, but obviously it looked like it landed on the floor, so Hacker had to pretend like... Oh, me toe or something. I think he went, oh, me foot, landed right on me foot. (laughs) (laughs) And we generally stopped the link, Hayley. We we took a minute off the link, because they were worried about him having been having concussion. (laughs) Well, uh, what a lovely note to end on. There you go. Concussion. Once again, for those who weren't paying attention earlier when we plugged it thricely, where can they get tickets for your tour in w- New Year? www.ianwithtwoeyesiaindoesjokes.com iandoesjokes.com Not ready to adult yet, and not ready to adult yet. Both available on uh, Amazon or wherever good books are sold. Not or you can stuff. go somewhere that pays their taxes. Yeah, like iandoesjokes.com, where I imagine there's a sales I link on there. my taxes. Uh, there's also an audiobook version as well that's out. The audiobook's probably better, to be honest with you. Oh, I was meant to ask you about that, actually. For the interviews that you do throughout the book, mm-hmm. on the audiobook, do you just play the audio from Just the, the audio straight from the podcast. Oh. You can listen so you don't just po- do a terrible impression of your mum or anything? No, the no. podcasts are available to listen as well. Well, there you go, Not folks. Not Red Saddle yet, on iTunes. There Free. it is. Free. You don't have to sign up to a Patreon, you missed a trick there. I've got a Twitch. Come, I, I charge people on Twitch. On twitch.tv slash... Ian Sterling. Ah, see? Plugs. Always doing them. Thank you so much for sitting down to do this, man. Thanks for having me, man. It's been a joy. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, now let us go and, and drink liquids. Let's have a little drink of liquids. But we have to go meet Joel Domit first. Name dropper. At the end Ed of the episode. P- well, Ed Pitches just text me as well. Dropping them everywhere. Dropping them. You can meet us at 7.30, Ed Petrie. Oh. 
But what you don't know. Man. You don't know when in the past this happened. Yeah. So, ha <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Chris will tell you if you donate in the Patreon. Yeah, in the past. We'll see you later, folks. Goodbye. And book. Goodbye to you. <laughs>